Good good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at three verses, three short verses. Uh, On my Bible, it's on page 979. I think it might be the same uh, in yours as well. Ephesians chapter 6. As Steve mentioned, uh, last week we spent some time looking at the way husbands and wives ought to relate in the home, and now we're moving it to children And we'll come back next week and look at parenting and what that looks like for it to be shaped by the gospel as well. And so Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Amen. Let's pray. Father and our God, we uh, ask now that you would teach your people through your servant. Father, I pray that you would uh, give me boldness and honesty and humility and transparency, that my words would be your words, that if they are not yours, that they would fall upon deaf ears. Father, I pray that we would see even how the gospel shapes how we view our parents. And would you give us divine grace to carry this out? We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, in case you're, uh, you're not familiar with the way the Ten Commandments are structured, that, that you remember when Jesus says you can summarize the entire law of God with two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the other, the other one is love your neighbor as yourself. What we think Jesus is doing is he's actually summarizing the, the entire Ten Commandments. In other words, if you think about the first four commandments, they teach us how to love the Lord with our whole heart. And the final six commandments teach us how to love our neighbor. And so here's a question I want to put before you. It's subjective. I want you to maybe do it in your own mind. But I want to pose this question to you, that that as you think about the six commandments that teach us to love our neighbor, how would you rank them? Really, how would you rank them in terms of importance and significance? And here's my, you know, if I were to rank them and say, okay, this is more important than this is more important. Now, I know that, that the Lord is holy and everything is equally important. But I think there's something that I want us to tap into as it relates to what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you were to ask me just from a subjective perspective, what's, what, what's the most important commandment on the second table. And I would probably say, do not murder, right? Do not take another person's life, right? And after that, I would probably put, um, do not steal. Do not take what is not yours, whether that's a person or property. I would probably put, uh, do not commit adultery, because I know we know what adultery does to family units, that, that it can break up a family and it's dishonoring in the sight of the Lord. After that, I would probably put don't bear false witness, no lying. Uh, and then I would get to the last two and I would be, be stuck. OK, coveting or honor your father and mother. And I would probably put coveting first. And on my list, honoring your father and mother might be last. Now, here's the reason I think that some of us would probably have murder at the top and not just murder. I think the reason that we would put the top four at the top is because we we live in a cultural moment. We live in a cultural context. And here's what I mean. We live in America. And when someone commits murder or takes a life, 
there's something inside of you that wells up and says they ought to pay for that, right? That when you, you, you hear, not just adultery, because our legal system does not punish consensual adultery. You don't go to jail for having an affair, but, 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 but we do put people in jail who molest or rape or, or break sexual sin commandments in other ways, right? So we, we punish that. The same thing with lying, that, that if someone lies under oath, we call that perjury, and we believe that perjurers ought to go to jail. And the same for stealing, right? If someone, if, if you've invested, if you've saved up your entire life savings, and you got, you know, several hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you're investing it, and some investor is running a Ponzi scheme, and everything you've worked hard for your entire life, this guy can lose in one night. He's stealing from you. And we believe he deserves to go to jail. Now, here's the thing. When was the last time someone got arrested for talking back to their mother? Doesn't happen, right? Doesn't happen. When was the last time someone got arrested for coveting? And coveting is not like the other sins. The other sins have a doing aspect to it. You can kill someone, you do something, but coveting is a, is a heart posture. It's an over-desire. When was the last time someone got arrested for desiring something? Desiring, right? You're watching TV and, and you got a car that's paid for, it's like six years old, and all of a sudden they put this new car on that runs across the screen and they got special financing and rebates, and then your neighbor gets a new car, and all of a sudden, right, you start to covet. Your car out there, it's fine. It's rolling good, right? Since when has a marketing agency ever been arrested for contributing to the over-desiring of stuff when we have enough stuff? It doesn't happen. And because of that, because those two commandments, honor your father and mother and coveting, because it's not punishable in the American justice system, then what easily happens in our hearts is we begin to undermine them. We begin to think, okay, well, they're just, it's not a big deal because we haven't seen anyone go to jail for dishonoring their parents. And here's the thing. If you look at how they're arranged, you want to know the first commandment on the second table? Before adultery, before murder, before lying, you want to know what the first one is? Honor your father and mother. So we might think it needs to be at the bottom, and God says, nope, it needs to be at the top. It's right there at the top. It is important. And we might think that coveting is not a big deal. It's just a desire well, Paul says that, man, I thought I made it all the way through the list, and it was that one right there where God got into my heart about not being content and wanting something more than him, wanting something that belonged to someone else, and that wiped me out. What Paul's doing in our passage is actually trying to exalt this commandment and lift it up to its proper place. It is important. Now, here's the thing. If you do your own uh, word search in the New Testament for parents, I want you to associate. Now, 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 think about Romans 1. If you know your Bibles, then you know Romans 1, we talk about where, where, where God gives people over, where, where he gives them over to the desires of their hearts, and they do what they ought not to do. And we would think, of like, man, that's a really bad list. Romans 1, 28 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, see, murder, envy, strife, deceit, malicious behavior. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. And you want to know what else he puts in that list? Disobedient to parents. It's right there in the list of the person whose heart is hardened being given over. You get it? What about the passage in, in 2 Timothy 3? But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, right? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. You see that? On those two commandments, right? On those two verses, what shows up in both lists, disobedience to parents. And so while we think a cat just show up and he is just malicious in society and just running ham and just crazy, you know what Paul says? A lot of that stuff starts right back here in the home. How this child treats their parents. You see? A lot of the big stuff that happens out there, it first happens in here. You see? This is why Paul brings this up. For Paul, the heinous sins in public begin in their homes you, most of the time. His measuring stick for a person with a hardened heart or one transformed by the gospel was their attitude towards their parents. It was a big deal to Paul because it was a big deal to Paul's God. And so we're going to talk about this commandment, which Paul references right here. And I'm going to talk to children today, and, and, and here's why. And I think we all can kind of listen in, but I want to talk to our children. The first thing I want the children to hear me say, and parents, if you don't have children here or you want to sort of rehearse the gospel with them, take this and do it at home as well, okay? Children, you are precious in the sight of the Lord. And that's the first thing you need to hear me say, that I think there's a tendency to kind of read the Bible and not see what's right in our eyes. And I'll be honest, I made the mistake. I made this, this, this dangerous mistake, and I almost missed what is absolutely beautiful. Here's the thing. We, we have Bibles everywhere, all over the church. We got, a, we got about 200 Bibles back there in the lost and found that, that are just there. When Paul wrote this book of Ephesians, it was four, 1,400 years before the printing press. And you want to know what that means? That means you didn't have hundreds of Bibles everywhere. That, that, that when you look at church history, what we realize is that you would get one letter to this church in Ephesus. And that one letter would go to that one church. And if they had enough money, they might hire some dudes or some ladies to rewrite it. 
but they did not have the printing press. They had papyrus. They were not writing it on paper. And so the way the early church learned, it was through the public reading of Scripture. And that's why Paul says it in 1 Timothy, he says it in Colossians, and he says it in 1 Thessalonians, where he tells Timothy, hey, read the the scripture aloud. And so if you were in Ephesus and you get a letter from Paul written on papyrus with a seal on it, you would break it and only one person would have it. And it was probably the pastor and the pastor would get that, that letter and he would call a congregational meeting or if it was a Lord's Day, and they would get together and worship, and he would do what Jesus did, open up this thing and read it publicly. And here is what's beautiful. Paul assumed that as the preacher or pastor of the Ephesian church stood up to read the letter, who did he assume was in there with him? Children, just like this. You got senior citizens, And you got little babies, you got teenagers, you got 12-year-olds, you got 9-year-olds, you got 21-year-olds, you got Jew and you got Greek. And some man gets up and he opens up the scroll and starts to read. Now, how do I know that this is the case? Because notice how verse 6 starts. Paul does not say, parents, teach your children to obey you. He writes directly to children. He says, children, obey your parents. Now, look, in my house, we get mail all the time, like every day. And what when we tell our kids to go get the mail, uh, what can easily happen is they go get the mail and they look at it. And I'm I'm serious. This is what they'll do. They'll get the mail and they get it and they just kind of throw it on the countertop. Right. Now, here's the question. Why would they do that? Because 99.9% of the mail that comes to our house, it's either bills or it's either somebody sending some marketing stuff to the resident of so-and-so. They don't even put my name on the paper. It's just junk mail. And so when my kids get that, they're like, man, that's not for me. But have you ever, have your kids ever received a letter in the mail written directly to them? They 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 don't toss it. They get it, and they see from Uncle Allen, right, to Karis, and we already know Uncle Allen, he put $100 bills inside of it, you know? (laughs) When when, when Uncle Allen sent birthday cards, he sent birthday cards, right? And he old school, he not doing a a money order, he gonna send you cash, right? Or what about my son when it's his birthday and he gets a letter from the Lego company We got him signed up at the Lego store for the Lego birthday list. And so when his birthday rolls around, Trip McGowan from the Lego company and has a gift card in there for $20 to go spend however you want on Legos. They don't treat their mail addressed to them like it's trivial. No. You know what? They're excited because they feel included because someone has thought enough of them to actually include them and send them a letter with their names on it. And that is exactly what happens in the text. Paul is not writing to adults to tell the adults to teach the children. Paul is writing this inspired by the Spirit directly to the little ones in the congregation. 
And that is good news, right? The God of the universe, right? The God who is high and lifted up, he actually stoops low and has a letter for children. That children would have been dispensable, second importance. Oh, let us grown-ups, let us do the church. And Paul says, no, you bring the little kids in here right now. The Lord of the universe wants to do business with the little children. You get it? This is exactly why. You remember Samuel and Eli? Samuel went to go live with Eli, and Eli was the priest. And Samuel is, is asleep at night. And all of a sudden, right, right, he, he hears his Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel gets up, and he's like, Eli, did you call me? Did you call me? He says, no, that wasn't me. Okay, go back to sleep. Samuel, Samuel. Okay, it's Eli. Did you call me? He says, no, that wasn't me. Go back to sleep. Then he does it one more time, and finally he runs over here. You know what Eli told him? That's the Lord. That's the Lord. This is how you answer him. Yes, Lord, it's you. Your servant is here. In other words, God didn't go check with Eli to talk to Samuel. If God got business with Samuel, he'll go talk to Samuel himself. He does not need a human intermediary to do business of salvation and conversion and transformation and speaking to children. He desires this. This is why Jesus did not want the disciples to run the children away. Oh, come on, Jesus, send them away. Send them away. He says, no, you let them come. And if you make them stumble, it is better than you burn in hell than I tie a millstone around your neck. It's the reason on Pentecost Sunday, what was one of Peter's words? In these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your old people will dream dreams and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Children. And so I say to all of our children here, you are precious and loved and valuable in the sight of the Lord. The second thing I want to say to our children is that you have promises from God. And I want our adults to hold back because Paul, he's going to talk about adults in chapter four. He's talking to children right here. He says, children, you have promises from the mouth of God. God makes promises directly and uniquely to you. And he alludes to it. Look at verse two. He says it. This is the first commandment with a what? Promise. So whatever Paul's talking about, God has is communicating a promise. And so what we adults want you children to hear us say is that our God and your God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. And it's all over the Bible that, that some of God's promises will happen in your lifetime. God promised Noah that I'm going to wipe away the earth with water and I'm going to spare you. And you know what? God did that. God promised Abraham that, hey, you're going to have a kid, and it's going to take a long, 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 long time, but you, he did have a kid. God sent Moses to Egypt to deliver Israel, and Moses went back and came back, and God delivered him. Jesus told Paul that you will suffer a lot for my sake for the kingdom, and guess what? Paul suffered. Jesus told Peter, you will be crucified, and guess what? Peter was crucified. Jesus said the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. And here we are in Jackson, Mississippi, talking about a Jewish Messiah who died on the cross in Israel. 1,400 years ago. No, 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 no. 1,800 years ago. Let me get that right. 
You see? And some of the promises, they take a really, really, really long time. The promise in Genesis where God says, I, Eve, you will have a son, and your son will crush the head of the serpent, right? He promises that. And it took a really, really, really long time for that one to develop. But that's why when Luke shows up, you know what Luke does? He traces Jesus' genealogy where? Back to Seth, who was a son of Eve. Why would he trace his genealogy back to Seth? Because Luke is screaming to us, this promise is being fulfilled. Why would God promise David, you will always have a son on the throne? Why did Matthew trace Jesus' genealogy back to David? Because David, the promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7, is being fulfilled in Jesus. You get it? That's why Paul would say at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That God had made a promise. And when the, the moment was right, he sent his son. There was a little boy in the Bible. His name was Joshua. And we believe that he was either born in Egypt or born not long after they had been delivered. And the Bible actually says he followed Moses when he was a little kid. He, he followed Moses around. And you know what? When Moses died, guess who became the leader of Israel? It was Joshua. And guess what Joshua said the last thing out of his mouth before he died to Israel? He says, I know I'm about to die and know in your heart and souls that not one word has failed of all the good things that God has promised to you. The last thing Joshua told Israel, your God has kept every one of his promises. And you know what? Who made it into the promised land? Did the adults make it into the promised land? Nope. It was the children. The children. The children were the ones that Moses didn't even get to go in. And God kept his promise to the children. You get it? And it's true in our passage, children, that God makes a promise. Look at verse 3. This is the promise to you that it or life may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's what God told the initial hearers of this in Deuteronomy. He told the children, it will go well. You will live long. And they made it. And I can say to you that that promise is for you two children. God is holding out this promise of a good life. Now, we have to be careful here. This is a generalization, and it's true most of the time. However, our world is broken, and some kids who love Jesus, they have really hard lives. And some mean kids who don't love Jesus, it seems like they get everything they want. Kids who love Jesus have short lives. Little kids who love Jesus get cancer. Little kids who love Jesus die of gun violence in Texas. Little kids who love Jesus are shot by stray bullets. Little kids who love Jesus die on Ridgewood Road because a manhole wasn't covered. But we have to remember that when it looks like the promise has been broken, 
Jesus Christ holds out the truest and fullest meaning of what it means to have a long life. He says to us that those who die in me, he says, you will never, ever die. I am the resurrection and the life. And so on the one hand, the Old Testament promised land, it was pointing us to a greater promised land, life with God, life in God, life forever now and in the new heavens and the new earth, life where we can walk with God and whatever happens, he is with us in it. That is what Paul is saying can be ours, children. And it's true for you. He promises to give you a long and well life. And for some reason, if this doesn't work out, because the world is broken, there is a place that you will go where no one will shoot up your school. And you won't get a rare form of cancer that we can't treat. And, and car accidents won't kill you. And drowning in a swimming pool won't be a reality. And gun violence or the flu or manholes in a street or where your next meal comes from. Jesus says, I'm going to erase all of that. I'm going to wipe away every tear. I'm going to bring you to a new place, the new heavens and the new earth where there is no suffering and there is no sickness and there is no sin and there is no sorrow and nothing will stop me from lavishing that upon you because no one is greater than me. He makes his promise to you children and children. You have commands to obey in order to receive these promises. Look at the first word that you see right there in verse three. You see at the way verse two ends. This is the first commandment with a promise. And look at verse three that so that it may go well with you. So you look at the promise. The promise is verse three. The question that we have to step back and say is what is the prerequisite for the promise? And Paul tells us, just go back. He gives us two commandments. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you. Do you see the language? The promise that God makes is hinging upon the obedience in verses one and two. And it, in other words, God is saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This isn't a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. Paul commands this, he, and he assumes that, that mom and dad are present. He says parents, and we'll touch on what happens in the home when parents, plural, aren't there, because that's going to have implications for us next week in terms of how we approach parenting. But I just want to focus on the children this week. He says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It doesn't mean obey parents who want you to do sinful stuff or illegal stuff because the obedience is, is in the Lord, right? But obedience in all things, not sinful or illegal, when they tell you to do it, how they tell you to do it, with no backtalk is what God is commanding. This is right. It is righteous in the sight of God. Now, you'll get older and you'll make adult decisions and sometimes you might or may not need your parents' wisdom. Sometimes you'll follow the Lord, and, and sometimes your parents don't, won't agree with what the Lord is up to, but you have a higher king to obey. But for now, 
while you as a child live in their house and use up their heat and eat their food and benefit from their work, you know what Paul says? Obey them. Obey them. He don't even say understand them. God ain't even ask, he not, he not even asking your permission. He's not quantifying. He just says obey, period. That's it. Y'all seen the obey shirts? That's all they got on it is obey. Right? The second commandment is children, honor your father and your mother. While mothers are under the headship of the husband, who is the leader of the home, notice Paul commands children to give that woman the same honor you would give the man in the house. If the first commandment tells us what to do, this second commandment tells us why. The idea of honoring, which is also a commandment, it means to lift them up. It means to look at them as being really important and really precious. It means that their words carry way more weight than what you hear from your friends or what you see on TV. It means that outside of God, both your mother and your father are the most important people on the entire planet. It means that as much as your favorite actor or writer or athlete or singer or entertainer or grandparents or teachers or best friends or even your pastor standing in this pulpit, I don't have more weight than the parents God has given you. And you might get married. And the Bible does say that if you get married, you must leave your father and mother and hold fast to your wife. But you want to know what the Bible never says. Stop honoring your parents. You might not obey them as a 30 year old man, but you still owe them honor. These are commandments from God. And Paul says they're right. And two stories from the Bible, they make me sad. One is from Leviticus 10. A man had two sons, and their names were Nadab and Abihu. And their uncle Moses spent time with them, and he taught them, and he asked them to come with him. When Moses went on the mountain to meet with God, Nadab and Abihu, nephews, nephews, come on with me, right? And the Bible says that they saw the bottom of Moses' feet and the ground that had turned green like sapphire. They were right up there with Moses when he was communing with God. Their father was Aaron, who was a priest who showed them how to make sacrifices. And the Bible actually says they went and made a strange sacrifice. And the fire that should have consumed the offering, it consumed them because they did not honor what they had been taught. That when you read 1 Samuel, you read 1 Samuel 2, the priest named Eli, he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They helped their dad, but they were evil. The Bible actually says those two sons took food that people were offering, and, and Eli goes to him and says, look, what you're doing is not right. He says, look, I make intercession for man and God, but I can't save you from God. What you're doing, he says, stop it. And you want to know what the Bible says? It actually says they would not listen to the voice of their father. And therefore, it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And they died. What about Elisha, who was an old bald man? 
who got teased by those 42 kids and those two bears came up and mauled them and destroyed them. See, you know, we can laugh at it. And it's, it, it, when you look at it like, oh, man, God, did you really have to burn them up? Did you really have to make them die in war? Did you really have to raise up two, two bears to maul them? Did you really have to bring them to the, the center of the city and make people stone them? And the Lord says, yes, yes. See, in our world, we think murder is the only thing that is abominable in the sight of the Lord. We have this tendency to take that commandment, honor your father and mother, and we think it's not a big deal. And what you see God doing throughout the Old Testament is making us see, no, it's a big deal. It is rebellious. It is heinous in the sight of the Lord. And here is the truth, children. Why would God do this? Because our disobedience and dishonoring of our parents are two sins that are just as bad as taking a person's life. And you know what? If we're honest, we all need to be stoned. We all need to be consumed by the holy fire of God. And if we're disobedient, then we forfeit the promise because the blessing, the promise is it hinges off of obedience and we can't give it. Can I let you in on a secret, children? Your pastor is guilty. If I stood up here and just talked to you at length about how I dishonored my parents, we would be up here for a really long time. Several, 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 several years, right? <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about one time, right? My mom had this new car, and she was asleep. And I said, this is before she went to sleep. I said, Mom, can I drive you a new car? And she says, no. And I was, I was grounded for something. I can't remember what it was. But she was asleep. She went to sleep. I tiptoed in there, and I got the keys to the car. And I went outside, and I drove the car. And I drove it to a car wash, and I washed her brand new car. And I drove it all out to West Jackson, where all of my friends stayed. I drove by Jim Hill. I drove out with my granny. I just drove. I used to love to just drive around Jackson, right? And I'm making it home. And I'm right in front of Callaway, right in front of Callaway. About to, I'm almost home. I'm almost home. And I wreck her car <laughs> right in front of Callaway, right? Here's the secret, kids. I'm guilty, and your parents are guilty. Ask them to tell you of a time when they dishonored and disobeyed their parents. And if they have selective amnesia, <laughs> go ask your grandparents, right? They got some stories on them, right? And you're guilty. When's the last time you didn't obey your mother or your father? You talked back. You mumbled under your breath. You slammed the door. You stomped your feet. You didn't do what they asked you to do, when they wanted you to do it, or how you, they wanted you to do it. You didn't tell them the truth. You gave more honor to someone famous or your friends other than your parents that you might not remember, but in your toddler years, you learned how to say no. And your mom told you to eat your peas, and you said no, and you threw a fit. That your mom told you not to go up the steps, and you went up them anyway. That you got into red paint, 
and you put red paint all over the walls, and when your parents ask you, did you do it with red paint on your hands, <laughs> you told them no, right? And when you became a teenager, you started caring more about what your friends think and what other people think than the very people who birthed you. You started to be more influenced by peers and parents, even though God says honor them. You gave an importance and a weight above all people. Look around, little ones. We're all sick. From the youngest of us to the oldest of us, we have not perfectly honored and obeyed our parents. So how can this promise of eternal life be ours even though we disobey. Here's my last word. Children, you have a savior to trust who will forgive you and change you. We should feel like we've blown it. And that's not a bad thing to feel. The sick people realize that they need a doctor and they run to Jesus. And that's what the law of God is supposed to do. Before it makes us better, it's supposed to make us sick and sad. How then would God maintain his standard of perfection and grant children who are rebels eternal life? Because someone came and obeyed in your place. Someone came and obeyed and honored his parents. And it was the Lord Jesus. Jesus had two sets of parents. He had a father in heaven. And that's why you would always hear him say, I did not come to do my will, but the one who sent me. And that's why you see Jesus honoring Mary and Joseph in his life. And guess what, children? He was a newborn just like you. He didn't show up and just become an adult. He was a kid. He, he, he was born. He was a toddler. He learned how to run and to walk and talk and write. He was a teenager and a young adult and then a grown man. He went through every developmental stage that we go through and he never not one time committed any sins against his parents. You've heard the cliche. It's not about how you start, but how you finish. I want to push that. It is about how you start. It is how you how you run in the middle. It is how you end. And here's what we learn about the life of Jesus. It was started when he was conceived by the spirit and born in the womb of the Virgin Mary, fully God and truly man. It started right there where the God of glory would humble himself by being born in the likeness of man. And he would come on this rescue mission to obey, to render what we can't give to our parents or to God. In the middle leg of his life, that's why you hear him say, I have not come to do my will, but the will of the father who sent me. Never selfish, never arguing, delighting in all his father told him to do. And in the final stretch of his life, he also finished well. The last moments of his life, we get a window into the depth of his obedience and honor. Remember what was supposed to happen to rebellious kids. They were supposed to be brought out to the middle of the city and stoned with the fathers throwing the first stone. And that stone would crush the kid and it would take life from him. Jesus was not stoned. But you want to know where they took him to? The place of the skull, also known as Golgotha. And they stretched him out there. And you want to know who threw the first stone? 
his father in heaven. He was becoming sin for rebellious sinners. And then something beautiful happens. As our Savior is dying, do you want to see how he's treating his earthly mother? In John 19, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour on, the disciple John took Mary to his own home. What in the world happened on the cross? The last words that come out of Jesus' mouth were what? Mother, mother, I am about to die, and I am your oldest son, and as your oldest son, I am responsible for taking care of you, and I am about to die and go in the grave and go in glory, and guess what? I will not abdicate my responsibility to look after you. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look at my best friend, John. She's now your mother. Mother, he is now your son. And then Jesus died. Why in the world would that be in the Bible? Because Jesus is showing us the type of unwavering honor and commitment that he had, not just to his heavenly father. He's on a cross, so he is committed to him, but also to his earthly mother. He is committed to her. Why? So that rebels like you and me who rebel both against God and against our earthly parents, we have all the perfect righteousness there and in him. That's the good news, children. You're going to dishonor, and you deserve death, and Christ has obeyed, and Christ has died for you. Turn and believe the good news, and Jesus does not just pay for your penalties, beloved. He gives you power now, and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit will make you look at your mother and father as God would have you look at them, that you would look at them when they get old and you will take great joy in serving them, that you will hear them speak and you will find joy in obeying them. And it won't just stay in your home. It's going to extend to anyone in authority over you. See, back in the day, grandmama and them could whoop you, auntie and them could whoop you, Folks down the street from you who wasn't even related to you could whoop you, right? Now, why? Because we understood authority. What Jesus does, he restores that. Whether it's a school teacher, they are in authority over you. You will honor. Whether it's a basketball coach, he is in authority over you. You will honor. Whether it's a boss, he or she is in authority over you and you will honor. And if it's a policeman, he is an authority over you, and you will honor. And here's the thing. I have this conversation with my son that I know that there are bad cops out there who abuse authority. And they have someone higher 
than this government that they have to answer to, and it is Jesus. But their failure to honor you does not mean you stop honoring them. They are in authority. And so I tell this to my son over and over again as a little black boy that some officers will shoot first and ask questions second. You still deserve them to give them honor. And so when you get pulled over, you give him honor. When he asks for your license, you give it to him. When he says, turn off your car, you turn your car off. And if you're guilty of a crime, don't run. You own it. Don't run. And if you need to be arrested, go to jail. I would much rather come get you out of jail than be picking out a casket. You see, honor, honor, honor. It honors whoever is in authority whoever and wherever, because it ultimately prepares us to honor the one who is in absolute authority. Amen. And that is the king of heaven. And bosses may abuse it, and people on this earth may abuse it. You still give it. So word to our children, you're precious. God makes good promises to you. Those promises hinge off of obedience and you can't give them. But Jesus has believe the gospel and let the work of the spirit renew your heart and long life is yours. Amen. Let's pray. Our father, we ask your blessings upon your word. We do pray over our children. Father, we give them to you and pray that you would do business with their souls. Father, train them to honor us and train them to honor teachers, train them to honor policemen, train them to honor professors, train them to honor employers. Father, I do pray that you would do this mighty work in the hearts and lives of our children. That your name may be exalted for Christ's sake. Amen.